0: Good morning. It's so good to see everyone here today. So thankful you've chosen to be with us. If you're a guest today, we want you to know that you're welcome and that you're invited back. And we would love to get to know you a little bit better and stay in touch with you. And so let us meet you and get to spend some time with you. If you have any questions, we'd love to answer those for you and and be there to help in any way that we possibly can. Let's jump right into our lesson this morning. In their book uh, called The Neglected Child, Ginger Welch, Laura Wilhelm, and Heather Johnson, they talk about six different kinds or types of neglect. Uh, They talk about the physical or deprivation neglect that children sometimes have. They don't have... Food, they don't have clothing, they don't have shelter and things of that nature. They talk about medical neglect, sometimes parents won't take them to the doctor or do the things that they need. Talk about supervisory neglect, that is, they just let them go and do and run and, you know, get into trouble if, uh, if they, they want to get out and play in the street or whatever. They talk about uh, environmental neglect and educational neglect and even emotional neglect, not not showing them love and and doing the things that a parent normally would do with a child. I want to tell you this morning that I do not have very much patience or tolerance for any person who would neglect a child. Now, you know, when you think about that, that's, that's one of the most despicable things that we could think about anybody doing here on this earth. But I also want to say to you this morning that there is probably a type of neglect that is even worse and more dangerous than that. And the Bible talks about that neglect. Matter of fact, in the book of Hebrews chapter 2, especially at verse number 3, the writer of the book of Hebrews asked and said, How shall we escape if we neglect such great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard. You see, the Bible says that it is possible for us to neglect our salvation. As we think about this morning, we're not talking about rejecting salvation in a defiant or denouncing way, renouncing salvation. That's not what the Hebrew writer has in mind here, you see the the writer of Hebrews is writing to Christians. He's writing to those who had uh, uh, had become uh, followers of Christ. Uh, he even talks about earlier in the passage that uh, they had heard the word that's translated "heard" there in Hebrews chapter two, verse number one means to hear, to heed, or to obey. And so the things that they had heard, the things that they had been taught, not only had they given mental assent to those things, not only had they, uh, you know, made some vibrations on the eardrum so that they would be able to hear, but these things they had listened to and they had given heed to, they had obeyed those things. And so those in danger of neglecting their salvation had heard, But they were also in danger, according to verse number 1 of Hebrews chapter 2, of simply drifting away. As a matter of fact, that's the way that it is put in the English Standard Version. The Bible says, therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. And if you're reading from the King James Version or the New King James Version, it says it just a little bit differently. Uh, it talks about letting those things slip. And now let me just say this morning, I am not much of a water person. I love to take a shower and I love to drink a lot of water. But I'm not a swimmer and one of these days I'm gonna let Hampton Hall make sure that he teaches me how to swim. He I mentioned that one time a long time ago, and he came up to me after the service and said, if you'll come to my house, I'll teach you how to swim. You know, and so one of these days I'm gonna take him up on that. I'm not much of a water person, but there are some people who are. A man by the name of a young man by the name of Michaelo Doroshiko, nineteen year old lifeguard over in uh, uh, Luzern, uh, Ukraine, decided one night that he would spend the night, or actually go to sleep, on an inflatable trampoline that was tied to one of the piers there where he was working, out, out in, the, in the sea. And he went to sleep, and he woke up the next morning, and he looked around, and there was no pier, there was no beach, there was nothing but water around him. Somehow, during the night, the inflatable device had broken away from the pier and he had floated away. And Mr. Doroshenko was found three days later, some 30 miles away in a different country from the one where he left. He was hungry, he was burned beyond almost imagination, having been out in the sun, dehydrated, He said at first when he was interviewed, you know, I thought when I woke up, well, this may be fun. But then he changed his mind after about the second day. But you know what? He simply drifted away. He didn't intend to be out in the middle of the sea. He didn't intend to not be able to have food or water. He didn't intend to be burned so badly by the sun that that he would have to have medical attention. He didn't intend any of those things. He just drifted away. And that's what the Bible says here. We as Christians can drift away. You see, the Christian is at, at, at uh, uh, the mercy of the trade winds, the prevailing winds of opinion in our world. We have friends and we have co-workers and we have people around us and, and they will tell you just what they think. And, and when we listen to them, you know, sometimes they may intimidate or persuade, or whatever it may be, us to, to, to listen and even to, to listen to things that would not be in harmony with the Word of God. Christians today are afloat on the currents of passion. There's a lot of passion in our world, passion for things that some people shouldn't have passion for, Indeed, but, but there are a lot of things that people they want to stand up and they want to be heard and they want to have their rights and they want to do all of those kinds of things and so that has an effect on Christians because we have people that we know that maybe have those same opinions and and, and they will sway us and we'll allow those things to drift cause us to drift slowly away. Christians today are driven by the high seas of stormy circumstances, if you will. Things don't always go good for us. Jesus didn't promise that we'd live in a place and in a way that that we would have a bed of roses and everything would be good every day. We face sicknesses. We face, you know, disasters just like everybody else. But sometimes people will allow those things to cause their mind to not think in the right way and they will Find themselves drifting away. They'll find themselves drifting into a distant harbor, far from the Lord and the things that please Him. And it's not hard for us to do that. The Bible says, again, let me call your attention back to where we began our study this morning. In the book of Hebrews, the Bible talks about how Christians drift away because they neglect their salvation. If I were to ask you this morning to define neglect, how would you do it? What, what would you say about neglect? What is, what is neglect and what does that mean? Well, one writer said and described neglect as the difference between weeds and plants. If you neglect your garden, you're going to grow a crop of weeds. If you tend the garden, you're going to have plants, peas and corn and things of that nature. That's the difference between, that's how he described neglect. According to Merriam-Webster Dictionary and uh, 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 merriam-webster.com, he defines neglect as to give little attention or respect to, to leave undone or unattended to, especially through carelessness. Carelessness. We just don't really pay attention attention you know sometimes people find it hard to understand that simply doing nothing is so dangerous just just not doing anything just neglecting if you will not paying attention to they find it hard to believe that it's really dangerous for folks to do that if you don't believe that it's dangerous if you're a business owner then just you don't have to shoot your customers you know to kill to, to kill your business All you need to do is just neglect customer service and things of that nature. And one of these days, your business will die. If you are one who is critically ill, you don't need to drink poison in order to end your life. You just ignore the symptoms and don't take the medications and things will not work out too good for you. You know, you don't have to commit adultery to destroy a marriage. You just neglect your spouse and you can do that. If you, want to neglect, if you want to destroy your finances, just neglect to pay your bills. You know, we could go on and on and on. But the fact is, you don't have to commit great sins, and you can put that in quotation marks if you want to. You don't have to commit great sins to destroy your soul. Just simply neglect it. And it will take care of your soul's death very efficiently. And so this morning, the reason that the writer of the book of Hebrews talks about those people slipping away is because they were neglecting the great salvation that they had heard and that they had seen. But I want you to note this morning as well that in this passage, especially in verse number 3, the question is raised, how shall we escape? Now we'll stop right there, he finishes on out, if we neglect, but how shall we escape? You know, really and truly what the writer is doing is, he's not so much asking a question as he is making a statement. It's somewhat of a rhetorical question, and that rhetorical question answers itself. How shall we escape if we neglect? Well, the answer is this. We can't. We can't escape. Even Christians who disregard the gospel cannot escape punishment. You see, it's a a very, very valid thing for us to talk about. A very, very dangerous thing for us to neglect our salvation. Now, you can turn with me or listen as I read some passages from the book of Hebrews as well. And then we'll look at another passage, but Hebrews chapter 12, verses 28 and 29. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 28 and 29. Hear what the writer has to say. He says, Therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Now, the English Standard Version doesn't do us a a good service here by adding the word worship. Uh, More literally, what is said and is used in the King James and New King James and some of the other translations is that we, by which we may serve God acceptably. Let me just read it from the King James. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably, with reverence and godly fear. You see, if we must serve God in a way that He agrees with and that He accepts. Serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. But my question is, why? You know, I don't neglect, I serve God, but if I don't serve God, why? Verse 29. For our God is a consuming fire. God is not just looking for people to, that He can send to hell. That, that's not God. That's not the thing that, that the writer here is talking about. Matter of fact, in the book of Second Peter, chapter three, verse nine, God wants everybody to be saved, not willing that any should perish, he says. So our God sent His Son so that we wouldn't have to do that. But I want to tell you something. The writer of the book of Hebrews makes it really clear, if we neglect our salvation, if we refuse to to serve God in reverence and godly fear in a way that He agrees with and accepts, we have a warning. Our God is a consuming fire. You see, the question, how shall we escape, is answered in this way. We can't. Even Christians who neglect their salvation will receive the just punishment of God. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. There Paul writes and says, And to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not obey God or do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel. Amen. If we neglect our salvation, we have a God who is a consuming fire, and we know that He'll exercise that right and that judgment when we stand before Him on the day of judgment. Look at Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. Again, the writer of the book of Hebrews says, For it's impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, and, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm. And holding him up to contempt. Now notice the writer of the book of Hebrews is talking to the same people in chapter 6 that he talks to in chapter 2. Those who had heard, heeded, obeyed the word. What he said we need to, uh, to pay more close attention to, he said they had done that, but if we leave that, there, there there's really nothing else left for us. There's no other preacher that's going to come along with some different message that will save us. There's nothing else that is there. But when we do it, I want you to notice what he says at the end. When we neglect our salvation, when we drift away from it, and, 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 and we're turning away, we're holding Christ and the cross up again. Now, obviously, we're to hold the cross of Christ and Him up and we're to glorify Him through that by preaching the good news, the salvation of the gospel. But we're holding Him up here to cast Him down and step on Him and walk on Him. And Everybody in the world, all of your friends and all of your family members, And maybe your children or your parents see you walking on Christ. We have some veterans here who served our country, went out and put themselves in harm's way. And I don't know if I appreciate it as much as they do, but I've heard many along the way holding content those who would throw the american flag on the ground and walk on it it bothers me i never served in the military but it bothers me i'm going to tell you something that bothers me more and that's to see brothers and sisters in christ walking on their lord again how do you think we'll escape if that's what we do All that Jesus did for us. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 31. For if you go on sinning deliberately after having received the knowledge of the truth, that's the same folks we read about a while ago in chapter 2. If you go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire. That will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God? And has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified. And has outraged the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. It's a fearful thing, verse 31, to fall into the hands of the living God. I want to remind you. The writer of the book of Hebrews is not talking about those who are out in the world who are rejecting salvation in this book. He's talking to people who would sit in the pews. He's talking to Christians. He's talking to you. He's talking to me. How shall we escape if we neglect such great salvation? The answer is we can't. But then, secondly, and very quickly this morning, if we neglect such great salvation, I want you to understand this morning that our salvation is great for many, many reasons. You know, one of the things that we could point out from the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, is that that salvation that we have came from and through Jesus Christ. That's what he says in verse number 3. And and so it's great because of its source. It came through and from Jesus Christ. Here's what I want you to understand. In verses 2 and 3 of uh, of Hebrews chapter uh, 2, in verses 2 and 3, what... Uh, the writer is doing is that he is doing some contrasting. He, he contrasts the Old and the New Testaments. I, if you notice in verse number 2, he talks about uh, the, the, the thing that was, the law that was delivered, the law of Moses that was delivered, and, and then he contrasts that with, uh, with the one that was delivered by Christ. If you go back to chapter number 1, You'll understand that he, he, uh, God speaks to us today. Verse, uh, actually, in chapter 1, verse 1, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days has spoken to us through His Son. And, and then if you look at chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, the message that was declared by angels, what message was that? It was the same one that Moses was given. If you don't believe it, you say, I thought it was Moses who gave it. Well, indeed he was, but according to the book of Acts chapter 7, verses 51 and, uh, through 53, uh, he talks about how that that particular law was given as delivered by angels. And then all the way back in Galatians chapter 3, verse 19... Why then the law? And he's talking about the law of Moses there. It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise has been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary, by Moses himself. And so as we look at it, that Old Testament law that is mentioned there in in, uh, chapter 2 and contrasted with the one that was brought by Christ in chapter 3, has some things about it. Now look again and, and understand what he says. For since the message declared by angels proved reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. In other words, those who disobeyed God under the Old Testament law, they were punished. And the writer of the book of Hebrews says, if that is the case under the Old Testament law, given by angels through Moses, if that was the case with that law, what about when God Himself, in the form of the Son, came down... And told you what he wanted. I want you to notice a couple of things here. Back in verse number 2, he talks about how that, that law, that law that, that was given there, how, how it was reliable, steadfast, unalterable. And he talks about every transgression, a break or a commission of a sin against the law. But he also talks about every disobedience and how it received a just punishment. That word translated disobedience there is part of our topic. It means inattention. Inattention. We may even talk about how this word disobedience refers to the sins of omission. What do you mean? We leave things off. We neglect our salvation. As opposed to going out and just being an outright murderer or robber or thief. Disobedience in this setting is the idea of just drifting away and leaving Christ. Again, in verse verse 2, he's talking about under the law of Moses. He said, if that happened under that law, what about this one? What about the dispensation, the law that we live under, the law of Christ? Then he asked that question, how shall we escape if we neglect such great salvation? The New Testament law under which we live was first spoken by Christ. And notice that he goes on there and he talks about how that it was confirmed. In verse number 4, he said it was first spoken by Christ. And then in verse 4, while God also bore witnesses, or witnessed by signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. Well, that's what Jesus said would happen. Mark chapter 16, verses 17 through 20. Uh, his apostles, upon which the Spirit would come, they would be able to do miraculous things, drinking deadly poison, being bitten by snakes, by casting out demons, doing all kinds of things. But the reason for that, those things were to confirm that what they were saying was the truth. Those things have been confirmed. Those things have, have made it clear that what we read and what we study and what we know because of their testimony and, and, and the things that happened and surrounded them, we know it's true and that it needs to be obeyed. How shall we escape this great salvation that has had such a wonderful and meaningful and lasting proof attached to it? Being given to us through His Son. You see, because our law that we live under today was given to us by Christ, who is much greater than any angel... Ever could be, and again, read the context there where he discusses the angels. If it is given to us by Christ, who is much greater than any angels, then according to verse number one, we should pay much closer attention to it. Much closer. What does it mean to pay much closer attention? The word literally means superabundant. Superabundant. That's what the word translated much closer means, superabundant. Now, if you have an abundance of something, you know, either tomatoes or okra or something in the, in the summertime when you're growing your garden, if you have an abundance of something, you mean, I mean, you can put it up, you can freeze, you can uh, can, you can do whatever with it. But if you get a super abundance of it, you bring some and you share it with the preacher. Right? Especially if you've got okra or something like that and it just keeps on and keeps on and keeps on and you get worn out. No, not just, I'm, not, I'm not asking for that. I know some of you do. But super abundance. We go above and beyond in paying attention. It's more than just paying attention. It's we really, really, really pay attention to what we've seen or what we've heard. And so, he said we're to pay much closer attention. What, a, what about attention? That word means to hold the minds toward, to pay attention, be cautious about, apply oneself to, adhere to. In other words, that same word translated attention is used in other places, one of which is 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting. Devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of doctrine. The word translated devoting is the same word that's used here in regard to paying attention. we superabundantly devote ourselves to the Word so that we don't drift out into the sea. One of the things that this phrase requires is that it requires the involvement of the whole heart. Not just the outward parts and things that we do, but the involvement of the whole heart. In the book of... Luke chapter 12, verses 47 and 48. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did not, uh, did what, uh, uh, who, who did not do according to his will to receive, will receive... But the one who did know and did what deserved a beating... I'll be able to read here shortly. And deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Here's the part that I want you to pay close attention to. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Because of our great salvation that came through Christ as opposed to angels, as opposed to the old testament law. Because of because of the great salvation, we're to superabundantly devote ourselves because we've been given much more. Much more than anyone else in the world in history. Has ever been given. As we close this morning. What's going to stop us from drifting? What would stop a ship from drifting in the ocean? Well we know the answer to that right? You probably had that one already filled out on your your page. An anchor is what keeps a ship from drifting. But do you realize. That Hebrews chapter 6 verse 19 tells us we've got one. According to that passage, again, the writer of the book of Hebrews says, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the heaven or the inner place behind the curtain. If we take the entire context of Hebrews chapter 6 verse 19, what we'll find is that it's discussing the death of Jesus, Him becoming our high priest and Him entering into heaven for us. And we have that hope that's in Him that anchors our soul. And so what do we do? Well, we fix our eyes on Jesus. And we continue to look toward Him. Hebrews chapter 12. And you'll notice a lot of the passages that I've quoted or read today have been from Hebrews. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What stops us from drifting? Our anchor. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, not in a neglectful way, because we're superabundantly devoting ourselves more to the Word, His Word, that will keep us from drifting. need to ask you a question this morning and each one will have to answer it yourself. Have you been neglecting the great salvation found only in Jesus? And maybe this morning, like Mr. Doroshenko that we mentioned earlier, found yourself... Adrift, far from our Lord. You know, we drift bit by bit. Drifting rarely help or happens suddenly. That's just not the way that it works. Maybe it's we just don't study our Bible like we should. Maybe when it comes to the assemblies we, we, we are just too tired to attend a midweek service or, or, or if we let that begin to creep up on us soon, Sunday nights are just not as important to us anymore and you know what, eventually we'll become erratic on Sunday morning attendance. We drift bit by bit. Or we let friends either intimidate us or influence us to not act as a Christian you know what, if we do that one time, it'll become easier and easier and easier the next several times. And the end result is the same, we drift farther and farther from our Lord. Or maybe I let bad words slip from my lips, and the more of them that I say, the easier it becomes to say them again. You know, we could, we could multiply those things, but the point is we drift farther and farther away until all too soon we don't even think about what it really means to be a Christian. And so I repeat the question. Have you been neglecting the great salvation found only in Jesus Christ? and found yourself adrift from Him. And I would add to that this, how shall we escape if we neglect such great salvation? Do you need to come home today? It may be that you need to be baptized for the remission of your sins. It may be today that you need to come back to Him. It may be that you'd like to know more. If we can assist you in any way, why don't you come right now as we stand.